morning, everybody. Praise the Lord. All right, good to see this happy, smiling crew this morning, and uh, we got a good word for us today. Now, of course, you know that we've been digging deeply into the book of Ephesians over the last little while and uh, studying there, but I thought, hey, let's, uh, let's take a little break this morning, <gasps> and let's talk about something most relevant to the week that we are about to embark upon. Uh, let's talk about uh, giving thanks. What do you think? Good idea. Now, it's hard to find anything in the Bible about this, this you know, theme. You really have to dig. You got to search. You really got to dig deep, you know. Look, read between the lines. Not. Okay, there is so much in Scripture about the importance of having a thankful heart, of having a thankful attitude in life. That this, it, it, it is so fundamental in terms of all of the letters that Paul is writing to all of the various different churches. It is so much a part of what he, um, pr- uh, what he endorses and promotes. That th- a thankful heart or a grateful heart or an attitude of thankfulness is just like so basic to what being a believer is really all about, that I thought, okay, it'd be a good idea to uh, take a little bit of time this morning and, uh, <clears throat> and get into that theme. So my uh, message this morning is giving thanks in everything. Well, now that's where it gets a little bit hard. I mean, there are some things that are, you know, you, you can't help but thank God for them. Good things happen, um, benefits, you know, blessings come your way, Sure. But Scripture says that we are to give thanks in everything, and that can get a little rough sometimes, but it is really the measure of your spirituality. That's a strong statement, but I'm going to say this, and we'll wrap it up when we get to the end with this this same thought, that it's... Having a grateful heart or a grateful spirit is really the measure. You, you can, it's the barometer by which you can tell how spiritual you really are. Your spirituality is not determined by how many times you've come to church. Your spirituality is not determined by the fact that you're doing the things that you ought to go. You come to church, you put your money in the plate. All that's good. All that's important. All that is to be expected. It's all part of the normal Christian life. But your real spirituality, ouch. <laughs> Real spirituality can be discerned or seen or observed through a thankful attitude. And Paul is constantly uh, encouraging people along those lines. Here's the passage that we'll take a look at here this morning. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Okay. Now, when he says, just, just to clarify something, when he says pray without ceasing, of course, he's not talking about going into your prayer closet and, you know, like cutting yourself off from the world. The idea of praying without ceasing is just simply praying in a continuous kind of a fashion. It's really like having an ongoing conversation as opposed to, let's say, some formal time of prayer in which you just kind of separate yourself and you go and maybe you get your Bible out and you, you know, bring out your, your laundry list or whatever, all the things that, that you are uh, looking to God for. <clears throat> That's one kind of prayer. But I would say the highest form of prayer of all, I think that this is a statement that can be defended. I think that the highest form of prayer at all is having a thankful spirit, having a thankful attitude. Because a lot of times, you know, our prayer is just kind of like, it's, as I said, it's kind of a laundry list. It's like, you know, okay, God, I need this, I need this, how about that? And then this one's sick, and that one's hurting, and this, you know what I mean? And we, and we kind of run through all these different things, and that's not invalid. You know, they're all different kinds of prayer. He says, I would have, it, first of all, prayers, supplications, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness. Second Timothy somewhere. Okay, so there's different kinds of prayer. There's supplication, petitions, asking God for things. There's intercession. There's praying for other people and and interceding on their behalf. Um, But I think that the real crowning part of prayer, the part that, that delights God, is the prayer from a thankful heart. 
So we're going to ramp up to this. What do you think? We can get ourselves stoked up here this morning. Uh, so that when we get together with our relatives and neighbors or friends or whoever it is that we get together, you know, you often hear this whole issue about how, you know, how politics becomes like the the downfall of a Thanksgiving get-together because you've got conservatives and you've got liberals and Democrats and Republicans, you know what I mean? And if it breaks down into that, that can get ugly. But I, I think that if we went into Thanksgiving, depending upon who you're going to be having Thanksgiving with, and, and your one primary fundamental purpose was to have a grateful spirit for what God is doing for you, okay? for what God is personally doing in your life, for how God is interacting with you or helping you or encouraging you or bringing you through or whatever it may happen to be. If you go into that setting with that, nobody's going to object to that. Nobody, nobody is against that, right? They may very well be against your politics, but they won't be against a thankful spirit. As a matter of fact, I think everybody loves a thankful spirit, right? When, and, and a person like that is attractive, Perfect, like a person like that is winsome. So that's what we're going to take a look at this morning. We get ramped up so that we're all set. We're going to start Thanksgiving today. What do you think, right? And we'll and we'll just carry it on for a number of days. It'll be like the old Jewish weddings, you know, on and on and on for days at a time. We'll make it happen. Anyway, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you. Now, there's a, 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 a truth that should be um, presented in this, um, that comes out of this passage, because he says, this is the will of God. You know, there are two different words for God's will. There's a word bulema, and there's a word thelema, okay? One is the predetermined will of God. There are some things that God, that are going to happen. Jesus Christ is going to be enthroned here on planet earth. Jesus Christ will be the king of planet earth at some point. He will, he will return. His kingdom will be established. He will be enthroned and we will be his people forever. Hallelujah. So if you're not on board with that plan, you might want to think about that because that's, that's, that is the will of God that's going to happen. Nothing uh, can hinder that or alter that in any way. But then there's the, uh, the other word for the will of God, and it's what God wants. It's what God wishes. It's not necessarily, and when he's talking about this, this is not something, when it says this is the will of God in, uh, for you in Christ Jesus, it is not something that God's going to force. It's what he wants. But God doesn't always get what he wants anyway. Like, just like you and I, God doesn't always get the thing that he wants. You might think that he does, but really, he wants a whole bunch of things. Right? God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Right? God is not willing that anyone should be lost. Are there going to be lost people? Yes, there will be lost people. Will that be God's fault? No, because God is not willing that any should perish. He wants all people to perish. He's told you and I do. Anyway, we can go off on that for a long time, but let's just gather it back together. Let's take a moment, let's pray and ask the Lord for his blessing on his word here this morning. Thank you so much, Lord, for bringing us here today, for getting us up and getting us out of our house and getting us here safe. And thank you for this beautiful place that you've given to us and the nice comfy chairs and the fact that it's well lighted. And thanks for all this musical gear and we can make a whole lot of joyful noise and we can praise you and thank you. And we just thank you for each other. Everybody who's here this morning, when I look at the different faces around the room, I'm blessed by that. I'm thankful for that. I'm encouraged by that. I'm grateful that you're continuing to work in us as a, as, as a, as a spiritual family. And so, Lord, we just want to pray that you will bless our time and your word here this morning, open our hearts, open our understanding to the truths that are presented here. May they affect us in the most internal and radical way. May they really be life-changing so that our lives will reflect who you are, your attitude, your character, your nature, the beauty of who you are. 
So we just pray, Lord God, that you will settle upon us, Holy Spirit, just come on this place, come into this place and, and uh, take control over these sometimes wandering and wayward minds of ours, and may they just be disciplined to hear the voice of your Spirit this morning as you speak to us and teach us and lead us in the way of life everlasting. We pray this now in Jesus' name, and all of God's people enthusiastically said, Amen. Ah, sweet, baby, I like that. You can you you're you're free to say that every once in a while. If you if, if an amen should you know should, if should erupt, we won't throw you out. A hallelujah is fine too. Yes, glory to God. You know, thank you, Jesus. All of those are in play here this morning. Okay, so Paul simply says, very directly, give thanks in all circumstances. No exceptions. No excuses. Nothing is outside of those parameters. Give thanks in all circumstances. That little phrase, enpanti, in the Greek, it means in connection with everything that occurs. Give thanks in connection with everything that occurs. With everything in life, give thanks, no matter what it might be. He's saying that no matter what happens, we are to be thankful. No matter what lot, no matter what set of circumstances, no matter what struggle, no matter what trial, no matter what testing, he's saying be thankful in all circumstances. You know, I've, I've, I've told this one a lot of times, and so most of you have heard it, but, you know, I, I've looked up the word all in Greek, and it means all, <laughs> just so you know. Anyways, give thanks in all circumstances. <clears throat> So no matter what the situation, we are to find a way to give thanks to God. And, and there is a way to give thanks to God. It may be that I've got to kind of look out in faith. Actually, this is, this is a message that is kind of um, bearing down on what faith actually is. You know, now Hebrews says faith is the substance of things not seen, the evidence of things hoped for, right? That's a little bit nebulous and a little bit, it's not the clearest definition of faith. But what faith really is, is the, uh, the willingness to trust God completely, even when things look really nutty. Even when things feel like they're going completely off the rails, the, the, uh, the willingness to simply say, God, I am going to trust you through this thing, and I'm, I am believing that you know where we're going, you know how this thing is working in me, and that you are capable of bringing it all to the right place. So it's, it's not just some nebulous thing that we would throw up into, into outer space. It is thanks that we directly give to God. We say it directly. God, I thank you for this, especially if it's difficult. You know, you think of that story of Job. Right? Everything goes wrong for this guy, loses his stuff, he loses his family, and then his wife comes along and says, do you still retain your integrity? Curse God and die. Man, even his wife turns on him. Right? But when, when, all, when, when everything is gone and his health is terrible, the Bible says that in all this thing Job did not sin, nor did he charge God foolishly, but he said, naked I came into the world, and naked I will leave. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that was his approach to losing everything. Now, was that the end of the story? Well, you know it isn't. Okay. So, thanksgiving is the essence of Christian living. Thanksgiving is the essence of a proper Christian attitude. But being unthankful is the very essence of the unregenerate person or the unbelieving person. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul indicts the ungodly with some very direct words. That's a long passage that I'm not going to put up there, but I'm just going to get to the point. There's a turning point in this thing. See, if you read Romans chapter 1, you'll find that it is an indictment. It is God declaring that the whole world is guilty before him, and why? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's the beginning of the indictment. And as he moves through that whole thing, he lists all of the things that are resulting from the attitude that is wrong or the, or the ungodly or, or um, unthankful attitude. But the, the, the crux or the pivot for the whole thing is found right here in these verses. Here's what he says. For his invisible attributes, and of course he's talking about God, namely 
his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, meaning humanity, are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 21 says, they knew God. He's saying that through conscience and through creation, God was visibly and experientially manifested to them. But even though they knew that there had to be a God behind all of this, they refused to do the thing that was most obvious. They refused to give God thanks. They refused to recognize God as God. This is the indictment on unsaved humanity. This is the indictment on the non-believer. He, refused to do, he refuses to do the thing, he or she refuses to do the thing that is the most obvious thing in this world. If, if anybody, or I've heard people say things like, if the stars only came out like one time in a century, you know what occasion that would be, right? It would, be, it would blow us so away to go out and see that kind of a heavenly display up in the sky, right? Or if you could only see color for like one day a year, it would completely knock you out. All of these, and there are so many things in life that are so praiseworthy, and they come from God. He has made them. He's created them. He's established them. They're all things, animals and trees and birds and all kinds of wonderful things that are on this planet. Yes, there are trials down here. There's problems and challenges. Yeah, all of that stuff is so. But we live in a world that is full of the glory of God, right? Full of the glory of God. And so it should be the most obvious thing in the world to thank God for everything, the God who created everything, the God who gives life and breath, the God in whom we live and move and have our being. This God has revealed himself in conscience, in, the, in our ability to have actually know what is right, what is wrong, to actually have a standard to live by. It, would be, it should be the most obvious thing in the world that we would perpetually have a grateful heart, have a heart of thanksgiving. But it is the nature of unregenerate, unsaved man that he will not give God thanks. That is just not going to happen. He may, uh, without meaning, parrot phrases like, oh, thank God for that. You know, kind of use some kind of a, a you know, a, 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 a kind of a thin, kind of a, meaningless phrase like that, right? But, um, but that does not, that's not really true thanks. It's kind of like there, there, there's true thankfulness and untrue thankfulness. The Pharisee gets up and he goes, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. That's not thankfulness, right? That is, that's pride masquerading as thankfulness, right? Anyway, so if you look at the, um, if you look at the way people in the world um, Act, they fall into kind of, or, or many fall into some, one of several categories, which will kind of give us a larger understanding or a larger scenario uh, to their thanklessness. Okay, there are people who go through life thinking that things happen just simply as a result of luck, just chance, chance and circumstance. And so things happen, if they go good, they see life as just a series of events over which there, nothing has any type of control whatsoever. Stuff just happens and seems to happen the way that it happens. And if it doesn't happen the way that they wanted it to happen, they become bitter and start complaining and they get angry and hostile. Okay, and, and the, the whole point of view is just simply that some, some um, the dice are just being rolled and, 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 and good luck is what rules, good luck or the lack thereof is what rules the day. Even though they may, may try to even manipulate or, or work together with factors to make themselves more lucky if that was possible, um, they still have no thankfulness because who's to thank? If you believe that luck or chance rules the world, you can't thank luck. Luck doesn't have any control. Luck doesn't have control over itself. There's no thanks in a person like that. What little good may come to them, they attribute to luck, and the rest of it they just don't really like that much. Then there are people who are like fatalists, they don't think that luck is in charge. They think there's some inexorable force out there that governs over and controls all things. They can't name it. I haven't, they would have no idea what it is. It would be kind of like the force. Some certain inevitability that is preset. Maybe it's your, um, your zodiac sign 
or maybe it's some, some factor out there that governs over and rules your life. And so they fatalistically and reluctantly accept what is utterly inevitable and unchangeable, and that's the way it will be. It is destiny. You can't argue with it. It's fate. But who's to thank in whatever good comes from that? There's no one to thank. It's a nameless force, an identi unidentifiable movement that has no personhood, and so there's no one to thank for anything, good or bad. And then there are people in a kind of another category. They're positive uh, thinker, positive thinking kind of people. Um, they're often successful people. And when they do find success, they're not necessarily sure how they became successful, but they have achieved success. And inevitably, what usually happens is that they uh, come to, they eventually attribute their success to their own talent or ability or skill or something of that nature. But everything good that, but everything good that happens to them, they've done it. They've arranged it. They've planned it. They've orchestrated it. They've made it happen. They dreamed it. They schemed it. They planned it. They pulled it off. Okay? All the credit goes to them and none to God. After all, what did God have to do with any of this? I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I'm a self-made man. I got out there. I did it my way. <laughs> There's a song that... Uh, um, it's going to be interesting. I, it would be really cool to be somewhere near Frank when he stands before the Lord. Won't it? You know. Oh, yeah, this is uh, Sinatra. Oh, yeah, this is the could Frank, could, could you just do us a tune here, please? Right? Could you give us a little my way? I don't think I really feel like that right about now, Lord. Right? That, that would be an interesting scenario. There's a lot of people I don't want to be too close to when we are approaching the throne. Like, like Mother Teresa. You know, I, I hope she goes like way before me or after me or something. Anyway, so the world is made up, <clears throat> excuse me, get a drink, of these kinds of people who lack a thankful heart. Some are thankless because they think it's just a matter of luck. <clears throat> so who's to thank? Some are thankless because it's just destiny, it's kismet, but there's no one really there behind it. Some are thankless because if there's anything that, Happens, it's good. It happened because they did it there to be thanked. So you find the same kind of character in, in unregenerate or unsafe people. It may take different forms than the ones I'm suggesting here this morning, but they are by character unthankful. They do not thank God. But when a person, ah, but when a person becomes a Christian, it is characteristic of that believer to thank God for everything. Nothing is more interesting than seeing what happens in the life of a person who really gets saved. He just missed a great opportunity to say amen. Right, right there, baby. You gotta, right? I'm, but isn't that true? Right? If, if you've ever known somebody and they really got it, you know, the Lord really came into their life, really awakened them, and they, they became born of God, born of the Spirit, it always results in this thankful attitude, okay? All of a sudden, things that they never even thought about before, they're thankful for. And even things that are challenging and hard and difficult, they're thankful for those things. And they're trusting God, that, that God can work all these things out. Um, so suddenly there's a new heart, a new soul, a new inner life, and something different about the inner man. A built in, and built into that awareness is a heart of thanksgiving that cries out with an attitude of gratefulness to God. Thanksgiving becomes part of the fabric of our new life. It is the fruit of the grace of the work of the Holy Spirit within us. We're going to see that here this morning. We, look, we're, we are going to visit Ephesians. But he's going to say, don't be drunk with wine where it is debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks to God in all circumstances. Okay, so this, this, this attitude of thankfulness is really reflective of how much Holy Spirit is, how much the Holy Spirit is actually in control of our lives. Oh. Okay. It is. It, it is it's a spiritual barometer. It's the fruit of the grace of the work of the Spirit within us. But it's interesting that even Christians can become unthankful. For an unregenerate person to be unthankful, that's normal. But for a Christian to be unthankful is abnormal. It's utterly inconsistent with our new life, the new nature 
the new person that God is calling me to be. And because we can fall into the sin easily of ingratitude, the New Testament repeatedly calls us to a place of thankfulness. So we don't have time to go through all of the texts that are in the New Testament here this morning, but we'll share a few in the hope that it will build a little theology of thankfulness, and it may help to encourage you and give you some ammunition for your Thanksgiving get-together coming up this week. Now, here is the overarching principle that sets all this in place. It's a verse of Scripture that I'm sure you're very familiar with, and it is found in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. This is the overarching principle, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Okay? That's the, that, that's the umbrella that covers every issue of life. No matter what happens, it falls under the umbrella of Romans 8.28. It may not be good. Any, a thing that may happen in our life may not be good in and of itself, but God will take a bad thing and turn it to a good purpose for our good and for his eternal glory. So even the difficult, hard um, things that, that happen in our life. You can't, can't necessarily say that everything that happens is a good thing, right? But the Bible says God works all things together for good. There is nothing, nothing ever that is outside of the ability of God to turn and massage and change and adjust and adapt so that ultimately it brings a blessing back into your life. It reminds me of uh, Jacob when he meets up with the angel and he's on his way back to see his brother Esau. And he's, he's fearful of this encounter because he ripped Esau off years ago. And now he's been gone for like 14 plus years. And uh, he's going back and he has no idea what's going to come down when Esau and his men show up. And so he, he goes out and he um, has an encounter with God. Okay, he's out there and all of a sudden he gets jumped by an angel. And apparently they go at it all night long, okay? And he's wrestling with this angel, and then it starts, the day starts to come. And the angel says, let me go. I, I've, I've got to leave here. He says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me, right? So the angel puts a blessing on him and then thwacks him on the hip and knocks his hip out of joint so he'll remember where the blessing, I, I've often thought about it. So here's the next morning, and here's Jacob. And, and he, now you can imagine what you look like if you wrestled with an angel all night long. So his clothes are looking pretty, pretty uh, shabby and beat up and dirty and all of that, sweaty, I, I would imagine. His hair's got to be a mess. And, and, and he, he's walking out, and he crosses over, I think it's the Jabbok River, and he comes back to where his, uh, where his people are. And somebody probably sees him and says, hey, Jacob, what happened to you? And he says, I got blessed. <laughs> Sometimes a blessing may happen to come in a form that you weren't anticipating it. But nevertheless, God is always capable of taking things. It's just like the story of Joseph, right? Where everything bad happens to Joseph. Then he finally sees his brother, he says, his brothers, and he says, You meant it to me for evil, but God meant it to me for good. And somebody may have meant something to you for evil. Somebody may have done you harm. Somebody may have insulted or offended or hurt or wounded you in some way. It happens to everybody. There's no way of avoiding it. But God can take every one of these little things if we'll let him. If we'll let him. Now, there's the big key. He can take all of those things and work them out for good. So if you live believing, here's a sentence to pay attention to, okay? This one, this one is important. If you live believing that God is at work, sovereignly controlling all the contingencies of life, blending them all together, leading to a sovereignly designed outcome for your good and for his glory, then you can handle anything in life and be thankful because you know that it fits into an ultimate plan. Amen. Right? Let me say it again. If you live believing that God is at work, sovereignly controlling all of the contingencies of life, blending them all together, leading to a sovereignly designed outcome for your good and for his glory, then you can handle anything in life and be thankful because you know it fits into the ultimate plan. The, the ability to actually do that is what faith is all about. It is that ability of often, Psalm 37 is my psalm. Right? Trust in the Lord and do good. You will dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, 
and he will give you the desires of your hearts. Commit your way also unto the Lord. Trust also in him. He will bring it to pass. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and the justice of your cause as the noonday sun. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Don't get all bent out of shape. That's not really what the Bible says, but it's kind of modern uh, equivalent thereof. Don't get all bent out of shape because bad people do bad things. For in a little while, bad people will cut off, but the person who trusts the Lord will inherit all things. Okay, Psalm 37. That, and that's just it. It's like, relax, chill. Let God be God and let him work things the way he wants to work them. Stop trying to con- compete with them or contend with them or get angry with them or get him to do what you want him to do. Wouldn't that be good? You know, if I, if I just could get God to do what I want him to do. All the world would be wonderful. Yeah, sure. That would be a nightmare. Anyway, I can be thankful for the pain that I go through in a surgery if I know that there's healing coming out of it. I can be thankful for the difficulty that I might go in doing my work or in doing the preparation because I know that the preparation is what's going to bless people's lives. I can be thankful for the process of pain that I might inflict on my body if I know that in the end I'm going to be healthier because I'm doing some exercise. When we know the end result of what God is doing, blending everything in our lives for ultimate good and, gl- and glory, then we can, in everything, give thanks. And that's the, that's the key to it. It is having that kind of confidence. It's not being fake or phony or just saying words that I'm not feeling. It is confessing that, God, you are God. You can handle this. And you've already demonstrated that you love me. You couldn't demonstrate that in a... In a a, a more compelling fashion. You know, Scripture says, even for a good man, someone might dare to die, but God has demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God loved you when you were at your worst, when you were at your ugliest, when you were your baddest bad self that you've ever been. God loved you on that day. He completely loved you on that day, and he has loved you every day before and since, and we can trust him in the midst of it all. But somehow, it's interesting how somehow we we often fail to be thankful. The early church was characterized by thanksgiving. When they met together, somebody had a psalm, somebody had a prayer, somebody had a word from the Lord, and they would get together specifically and for the purpose of being able to give thanks together. This was characteristic of the early church. But we live in a day where it's difficult for us to rise above this very contentious, creeping, encroaching, powerful culture that surrounds us. Uh, we, we live in a very thankless time. A couple of weeks ago, I was watching something by Elon Musk. And of course, he's the guy, visionary guy, Tesla and SpaceX and all these incredible things that he's accomplished. And he made an interesting comment, I thought. He said, because uh, somebody was asking him, what do you see down the road? What's coming down the future? And if anybody's a visionary, this guy is, right? But he was very dubious about the whole thing because he said, right now there are so many things that are going on in technology that could solve so many problems, the future down here could be, like, amazing. But there are so many problems within us and among us that we could easily undermine the entire thing and destroy the entire thing. We, uh, this year, we've talked a lot about critical theory, right? We, we, we live in a time where there's more things than ever to be thankful for. Isn't that true? We have technology, all kinds of stuff. I mean, to have a dishwasher, to have a toaster, to have a washing machine, to have a refrigerator, to be able to get up in the morning and take a hot shower? Seriously? Right? We're like the, among the tiny, tiny, tiny little group of human beings who've ever had any such privilege. You know, and, and we take all these things for granted. And now we're living in a time when younger children are being indoctrinated by this, again, this critical theory. And it's not something I have time to go off on. I've gone off on it plenty of times. And I love going off on it. But the critical theory concept, okay, is that everything must be criticized endlessly. So when they talk about critical race theory, they're not talking about constructive criticism. They're talking about it must be beat down and beat down and beat. You got to beat on this thing. You got to beat this drum over. Racism, 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 racism. You got to say it over and over and over and over again. And it, and it kills a thankful spirit. It generates an unthankful, unhappy attitude in life. 
And that's what we see. That, that, that you, see you saw that last summer on display in a profound way. So we live in this time where, where um, there's a terrible kind of thanklessness around us. But it's important that we don't fall into the pattern. It's important that we don't become like the people of the world. Here's what 2 Corinthians 4.15 says. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Do you know what God, you know what this world would look like if God had his way? Everybody that would be just like as happy as could be in this world. If, if the Lord could have his way. And it says here, uh, Paul is uh, noting, it's all for your sake. He knows everything that you have. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. What he means is as, as people receive the grace of God in salvation, it leads to redounding thanksgiving. It should be normal. It should be characteristic. It should be the pattern of every Christian's life that we are endlessly giving God thanks 2 Corinthians 9.11 says, having been enriched with everything, it produces thanksgiving to God. Not only do you have salvation, but you and I have everything. God has poured out everything. We've said this over and over and over again in our study of Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Everything that there is spiritually to get, I already have. But I didn't even have to get it myself. Jesus has given it to me. All the freedom, all the trophy, all the forgiveness, all the mercy, all the grace, all the kindness, all the patience, all everything, plus he has, he has promised that he, my God will supply all of your need according to his riches and glory. I can tell you, after 40 some odd years of walking with the Lord, that's true. That's true. God will supply all of your need. It is true that God will take care of you. It is true that God loves you. It is true that God is for you and that he's able to make the way for you. So, um, everything has been given to us. God has poured out everything, bread for food, seed for sowing, and, uh, and, and the increase of righteousness. In, in, in uh, Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul, writing at the beginning of the chapter, says this, don't let immorality or impurity or greed be named among you. So here we've read this, and he's talking about the way we act and the deeds that we do. But then in verse 4, he says this, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. He's talking about speech. So when we open our mouth, nothing dirty, nothing unclean, nothing inappropriate should come out. What ought to come out is words of thankfulness. Christians should be known by having a thankful attitude. When we open our mouth, we should be expressing our gratefulness to God. Here's what Ephesians, later on in that chapter where I was um, alluding to before, a little later on in chapter 5. He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always with everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Drunk with wine? He says, beware, that's debauchery, that's excess. But he says, filled with the Spirit, what's going to happen if I'm filled with the Spirit? He says, addressing one another in psalms, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, I know not everybody's a songbird out there, you know, that people have said God made the nightingale and he also made the crow. You know, there's some crows out there, so not everybody's got that lovely singing voice. But there, there can be something on the inside that just sings and rejoices, even if you're not a singer, right? You can get a little song in your heart, um, you know, something that you picked up this morning from church or one of, the, one of these songs. Or there's, there's Christian music all over the place. You can tune into a station, have godly music playing in your home, right? I mean, these things are are all around. So joy, rejoicing, prayer, praise will happen when we are under the influence of the Holy Spirit, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So a spirit-filled believer is a normal believer. A spirit-filled believer is a thankful believer. A spirit-filled believer is a joyful believer. A spirit-filled believer is a praying believer. If you're filled with the Spirit, you are going to be giving thanks for everything. 
You should be giving thanks because of your salvation. You should be giving thanks because of God, because God has poured out everything that you need. You know, Peter says, Thanks be to God who has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and virtue. And even in times of trouble, Paul says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Result, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Right? So even when things seem real hairy and real crazy, and it looks like uh, it's going to be a rocky road for a little while, even during that time, let your requests be made known to God with thanksgiving. And the outcome of all of that, and the peace of God, which surpasses or which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Even in times of great anxiety, even in times of fear or worry or stress, we can be characterized as thankful people. There's another verse, I think. There we go. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding with thanksgiving. Okay, so he says that, We are to abound with thanksgiving, overflowing with gratitude, characterized by overflowing uh, um, gratitude. That's a thankful person. Colossians 3, 15 through 17 puts it this way. And let the peace, yes, is that right? Yeah. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful that the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So back to our, back to our original text here this morning. He said, he, he noted three particular components. He said, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do you think he's serious? Oh, yeah. How, how would he know this? Because he's been doing it. This is how it's working in him. This is how the Spirit of God is filling in his life. You know, I, Lorraine and I, we got saved in like a real hyper-Pentecostal church. And then we uh, went to a Bible college in like a hyper, hyper Pentecostal Bible college. And everything was all about speaking in tongues and prophecies and, you know, things of that nature. If you, if you come from that background, you'll understand. And it's, you know, it's just like the biggest thing in the world. It, it is for that group of people, the, the biggest measure or manifestation of spirituality that someone can speak in tongues. And of course, if you, within that, that community, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't care if you're Billy Graham. You don't speak in tongues? Sorry, Billy Graham's not filled with the Holy Spirit. I used to hear that kind of stuff. (laughs) Okay, but anyway, I've never been totally comfortable with that idea that you must speak with other tongues in order to have the sign manifestation. All right, but I will tell you one thing. What he's talking about here, giving thanks in all circumstances, having a thankful attitude, giving thanks to God the Father. This is genuinely, and I am for certain about this, this is genuinely the manifestation of a fact that one is filled with the Holy Spirit. When you are filled, and what I mean by filled by the Holy Spirit, it means I am under the influence. That's why he uses wine as a comparison. If I start drinking wine, I start drinking too much wine, I start getting under the influence of wine, and I get sloppy and stupid. Okay? So he says, don't let that happen, but be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You got to, like, imbibe. (laughs) You know, we have to receive the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, and as the presence of the Holy Spirit comes into our life, oh, baby, we got to move along here. This is normal Holy Spirit um, living, that we have that kind of an attitude. So, um, a believers have inward joy, unceasing prayer, constant giving of thanks. This is to be uh, um, the pattern of our life. These things 
command, uh, I'm sorry, these three commands, rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, and giving thanks, these three commands penetrate down to the innermost reality of what our spiritual condition really is. They are the best gauge of a person's spiritual condition. So don't judge your spirituality by church attendance. You're not to judge your spirituality by ministry activity. Don't judge your spirituality by the fact that you do your duty as a Christian, that you give some money, that you show up at Bible study, whatever it might be. Don't judge your spirituality by the fact that you haven't robbed anybody, haven't raped anybody, haven't murdered anybody, haven't committed adultery, haven't committed fornication. You haven't lied and cheated on your income tax. You haven't abused your wife. You haven't abused your kid. That is not the measure of your spirituality. The, the true measure of your spirituality, if you really want to get in touch with the reality of your spiritual condition, if you want to know whether or not you are filled with the Holy Spirit, what you need to do is ask yourself, do I rejoice always? Am I in continuous conversation with God? Do I pray constantly? Am I increasingly thankful? Because that's the spring from which all other things flow. You can do ministry from now until Jesus comes, but if you're not under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you are wasting your time. Your ministry is in vain because only the presence of the Holy Spirit, it, it, it is the Spirit that gives life, Jesus says. The flesh profits nothing. So unless the, the Holy Spirit is driving the, the, the life, then all ministry is just going through the motions. So if I get that part right, ministry will flow. It will just happen all over the place. You'll be ministering to people, friends, coworkers, without even realizing, without even trying, because out of your heart, there will be an abundantly um, grateful attitude. <clears throat> so the, the scripture says, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So someone, someone may ask, and we'll look at one more. I, I got about two and a half more hours of teaching to do here, you know. But that's not going to work. Um, but someone will ask, well, well, what do I have to do? Do I have to just gin this up? How do I make this happen? You don't. You can't make it happen. It happens as we get in a place where the Spirit of God begins to come into us. And the Spirit of God has a couple things he likes to use. Like number one is the Word. The Spirit of God loves to use the Word. Now, the only problem is i got to read it for myself. That's, I got to do that part of it. He's not going to read it for me, and he knows it already. Matter of fact, he's the author, yeah, so, so he's got it down. But he loves to use the Word of God, but I got I to drink it in. That's where the imbibing aspect comes. And then he can take all of that, or maybe even if I don't have it like tucked away or stored away someplace, there it is. And I can read it, and my heart can be lifted, and my heart can be blessed, and I can be encouraged, and I can return to a place where I have a, a grateful spirit. So, so do I myself have to somehow, you know, do I have to rev this thing up? Do I have to crank this thing up and get the, get the thankfulness machine going? No. I have, to wait on, I have to learn to wait upon the Lord. I have to learn to sense his, the reality of his presence. You know, I, uh, in studying for this, um, there were lots of different directions to go in, but I, I wound up for a little while in Chronicle, First Chronicles chapter 16. And First Chronicles is an interesting book because it's written about 450, 460 B.C. But it's reviewing everything that happened from Adam all the way down to that particular time. And the reason is because the people that, and it's written by Ezra, and the reason Ezra wrote that book is because he's gathering together all of the great things that God did over the generations because these are the people that just came back from exile. And having come back from exile in Babylon, they came back and their temple was demolished. And the temple that's being built is like not really very fancy. Nothing like the one that Solomon had built, okay? And their walls around the city are all broken down and there's a Persian governor that's sitting over the province. And like they're coming back to this really desolate, burnt out kind of a, a time and they need to be encouraged. And so in that... In that um, First, uh, First Chronicles, um, Ezra writes, and, he, and, and in the 16th chapter, he reviews that whole time when David um, wanted to bring the ark to Jerusalem. After David got the city, it took 400 years for the Jews to actually take possession of 
Jerusalem had happened at, at David's time. And then he wanted that ark, that ark up to that time. And of course, it was the visible symbol, the manifestation of the, of the living presence of God. But it was stuck in a place called Shiloh at a guy's house called Obed-Edom's house because th- uh, th- that was where it was resting for the time being. But David said, David said, I want that thing. I want the presence of God. My whole reason in getting, it, in getting that or saying that is because you and I have the presence of God all the time. You see, he wanted to get that and said, oh, we get it. And then they, they tried to bring it up. And then you remember, Uzzah touches the thing. He gets struck dead. The whole thing breaks down. They send it back. Send it back. They're kind of like freaked out. But then they get their plan together. They bring it up. And he's just rejoicing. He is dancing and leaping and praising God, as you know the scripture says, right? So, so much so that his wife is embarrassed for this display, this fanfare that's happening. But he is so grateful to have presence of God there where he is. I'm saying that because that's who the Holy Spirit is for us. We have the presence of God. Here, I'm the temple. I'm the wagon that carries the presence of God. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit and that God lives in you, right? That's the point. So this is not a matter of like ginning it up. You got to like, you know, get yourself all psyched up, get to a, get to some kind of full tilt, Holy Ghost service, you know. It's not that. It is getting in touch, getting in the presence of God. One more passage of Scripture. Therefore, and this, this is the Scripture um, speaks to this idea of it is not up to me to make this happen. Therefore, my beloved brethren, as you have always obeyed in my absence, um, in, in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, causing you to will and to do the things that are pleasing to him. Now, that sounds at first like, Clay, work out your salvation. (laughs) Work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. That kind of sounds pretty intimidating, doesn't it? Kind of sounds like it's on you, doesn't it? Uh Uh-huh. But it's not. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who is at work in you, causing you to will and to do the things that are pleasing in his heart, right? So there's, there's power working in you, right? There's, there's reality of the, of the presence of God is in you, and he's working. And the only thing I have to do is don't shut him down. We read that in Ephesians chapter 5. It says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. To grieve the Holy Spirit means to just shut him down. He's happy. He's he's a thankful one, that Holy Spirit. He's full of joy, and he's totally optimistic, and he's got it completely under control. And all i got to do is kind of get myself, like, locked in with him, and I have that power working in me. For it is God who is at work in you, causing you to will and to do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Hallelujah. So, I want you... All to have an absolutely blessed Thanksgiving. And that we would take this kind of an attitude. You know, if the politics are going to become a problem, like pitch them. Don't get into it, right? Of course, you don't want to be some Bible-thumping whack job either. But you want to bring the love of Jesus, the goodness of Jesus, the joy of Jesus, the gratefulness of Jesus, the power of Jesus, Because you got that. It it lives in you. That's what's so important. It is alive. It lives. He lives in you. And you take him from place to place. You are are the vessel. You are the the chariot. You are the container, right? Because it is, we have this treasure in jars of clay so that the glory may be of God and not of us. We have this beautiful life within us. Just a matter of kind of turn them loose. Amen.